over into the book of Genesis in the 44th chapter of the book of Genesis. The final test that Joseph gives his brothers. We saw that as Joseph went through a process with his brothers, it brought them to remorse over what they had done to Joseph. And obviously they don't know that this is Joseph at this time. And uh, so God is using Joseph to bring these brothers to repentance and remorse. And there's one final test, one final test to see if the brothers have really changed or not. Or are they the same old, same old brothers that sold him into slavery and then lied to their dad about it and said he was dead. So the final test is found in the 44th chapter of the book of Genesis. Verse 1, Joseph is speaking here. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. Now you'll remember that they had made a second trip back to Egypt. They went and got Benjamin and they took Benjamin with them back to Egypt. You'll remember that correctly. And so now they're going back home from Egypt the good news at this point is that Simeon is out of jail and Benjamin is with them and they're going back home. So things are really looking up for them at this point. But there's one final test for them. And so Joseph tells the steward to put cash in the sacks, to put corn in the sacks. And then one other thing, verse 2, put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest. And who is that? That's Benjamin, okay? And his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou doest overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is this it? in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth, ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. They said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words, God forbid that thy servant should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we have found in our sacks' mouths we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan, how then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and they shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, opened every man his sack and searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and ladded every man his ass and returned to the city. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. 
pray for your inspiration. Father, your word is already anointed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, just to remind you, remember that Simeon is imprisoned, awaiting for them to go and get Benjamin, which they did. They brought Benjamin back to Egypt, as Joseph had commanded. And uh, Joseph feasted with them, fellowshiped with them, and blessed Benjamin with five times more. Verse 34 of the previous chapter tells us that. So, things are starting to look up, as we said, for these brothers. In the 44th chapter now, we come to the final test, and Joseph tells his steward to take his cup, his silver cup, and to put it in the younger's, youngest son's sack, which is Benjamin's sack. And uh, what is going to take place here is Joseph once again is going to test the character of his brothers. Have they really changed? And we'll get into that in just a moment. Just a few things to think about, though, as we look at this chapter, is that everything is going real well for the brothers at this point. They've been through some things, and they're on their way home. They've got their sacks full of money. They've got their sacks full of corn. Simeon's with them out of prison. Benjamin is with them. Everything's looking good, and they're going back to their father. They're going back to Jacob. So all of a sudden, when everything seems to be looking up and seems to be going real good, here comes this test. Here comes this trial. And the trial is basically, Joseph is going to take his cup, put it in Benjamin's sack, and accuse them of stealing that cup. Okay? And obviously the brothers don't know that this cup of Joseph has been placed in the sack of Benjamin, and that they're going to be accused of stealing the cup. And the test simply is this, is that when Benjamin is indicted for having the cup of Joseph, the test is this, will the brothers forsake Joseph and go back home to their freedom? Or have they changed and will they stand up for their brother even though he has been accused of something? So it's the test. Now, so whenever things start going better for you in life, when things start looking up, like in the brother's case here, things are looking up for them. You have to always be ready because something can change in an instant. Okay? And you and I have to be in a place <clears throat> that when the test comes, and often the test comes right after tremendous blessing. And it catches you by surprise and it brings quick and sudden change. And if you and I are not prayed up and we're not read up and we're not full of the Word of God, when that test comes, we will not survive it because we're not looking for it. So we have to understand that blessings are going to come to us as believers, but the moment the blessing comes, get ready for the test and sudden change. If you're not ready for it, that test will defeat you. Okay? And a lot of times we think that, well, God, the blessings of God are going to come to us, but we're not looking for the test or we're not looking for sudden changes to come. And when they do, they surprise us 
and we walk around defeated. And God doesn't want us defeated. God doesn't tempt us to sin. God doesn't tempt us to do evil. Satan does. But God tests us. Are you with me? So I don't know if this has happened to you recently or not, but after things start looking up and you're so excited and everything's looking a lot better than it was, as we've seen in the brother's life, get ready for the test. And those tests are going to come and you know everything's going good, but all of a sudden, how quickly things can change. That's why it's so important for us to never get prideful and to never get arrogant when the blessings of God are coming our way because we know that we live in a fallen world and that that can change instantly. See, now the situation is pretty serious. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The second thing we need to realize is that when distress is on us, oftentimes we get remorseful and we get repentant because the, dis the distress and the stress is on us and obviously in the time of famine, the brothers have gone up to Egypt for help. They are in distress here. Uh, Joseph sends them through a process of mirroring, looking in the mirror, you know, to remind them what they had done to him, to bring them to a place of repentance and testing their character. And when they were under stress, when they were distressed, when they were in that time of famine and they were in a time of need, that's when they were repentant. That's when they were remorseful. Now Joseph does something. He puts cash in their sacks. He puts corn in their sacks. And they're prospering. They've got abundance now in a time of famine. What is, that's also a test. See, it's not just the cup, and we'll explain that more in just a moment. It's not just the cup test, but it's the test of prosperity. When a person is distressed, when a person is going through a time of famine, many times that, that will bring remorse for their actions, for their lifestyle, and repentance. But then when things start turning around for them, and they start getting blessed financially and whatever, the repentance or the remorse is going to be tested. Is it real or not? Or did you just repent, come back to church just because bad things are happening to you? You understand? Because a lot of people, when bad things start happening to them, they get distressed and they have financial problems or sickness in the body. And you're going to see them in the house of God. But as soon as financial blessings come to them or their body gets healed or whatever, you don't see them anymore. You know what that tells you? that tells you that their repentance was not real. That the only reason why they did what they did and showed remorse for their actions in life was because of the distress. It wasn't a real remorse. It wasn't a genuine repentance. And so now these brothers, they have showed remorse and repentance, but is it real? When Joseph fills their sack with cash and corn, are they still going to be repentant? Are they still going to be more remorseful? You see, so oftentimes when prosperity comes to a person's life, you'll find out that that repentance and that remorse wasn't real. They just wanted a blessing. They just wanted healing. 
That's all they wanted. They never really wanted to serve God anyway. They want everything their way. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so now Joseph, and we'll get to the cup in a minute, is not just going to test them by the cup. He's going to test them by prosperity. See, his brothers had showed remorse. His brothers remembered what they had done to Joseph during that time of testing in the previous chapter. But is it real? Now that they've got blessing in their life. There's a lot of people that are like that. They'll live for God even sometimes when it's hard. They'll live for God when it's a distressful situation. They'll live for God when they're sick in their body. But all of a sudden they get healed or they get financially blessed and you don't see them anymore. I used to have a sister in the church here and she used to say this, you know, said she noticed something about people. See, when they were coming to church and they didn't have anything, you know, and driving old broke down cars and everything, you know, they would come to church. Then all of a sudden, the new cars come. Prosperity comes. And what she noticed is when that happened is many people stopped coming to church. So it's a test for us. See, we sometimes think hardship. We think distress and problems in our life is, a, is the test. You know, it's the test. Really, prosperity is the test. Because God is a good God. And when you start serving God, because He's a good fa Father and a good God, He's going to bless your life with abundance. And when He does that, are you going to forget Him? And, and the Lord God re reminded Israel in the Old Testament, you know, you're fixing, and we'll get into the Exodus and we'll see it later on as we go through the Bible. When they left Egypt... God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. He told them, you're going to move into a land and there's going to be wells there that you didn't dig. There's going to be vineyards there that you didn't plant. There's going to be houses that you didn't build. And you're going to go into that land and you're going to possess these things. But He says, when you do, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. Because God knows that and He's so, He's so good. He will give you vineyards you didn't plant, houses you didn't build. Do you understand what I'm saying? He'll give you wells that you didn't dig because He's that kind of God. He is a good Father. But He brings to that, us to that Word, when you prosper, be careful that you don't forget God. Amen. So there's a test here for the brothers. They've been through a time of famine. They've been through, through a time of testing and distress. But how are they going to handle the prosperity? Amen? See, you and I don't want to get so rich that we forget God. We, we don't want to get so blessed in our lives that we forget God. And I believe that the Lord allows things to come to our life. Even in times of prosperity, test just like this one. When they were prospering and things were looking up and things were looking good for them, here comes that test. The cup in the sack. You understand? And you have to be ready for those sudden tests that come to your life that's going to prove whether or not your repentance was real. That's going to prove whether or not your remorse was real. Things are going to come into your life that's going to prove if your baptism 
was real or not. Amen. It comes to all of us. So we have to be careful, don't we? So a lot of people live for God when they're going through difficult times. But what about in times of prosperity? Don't forget God. Don't forget God. So you can be tested. I'm going to be tested in this area. Every one of us will be. And so here we have it. This time of prosperity. Things are looking up. Things are good. Simeon's out of jail now. You know? People come to church. They get out of jail. Things are looking up pretty good for him. And all of a sudden, you don't see him ever again in the church house. That's a test we have to be careful for. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen God bless so many people in this church. I know some of you where you came from. In fact, we started church. this church. There's only two people in the church, so I know every one of you where you came from. Amen? And I've seen what God has done in your life. I've seen God take situations. I'm talking about desperate situations. Desperate. And because you started walking with God, God started turning those things around and started blessing your life. It's a test. You have to look at it as a test. Am I going to keep living for God now? You know, Simeon's out of jail. I'm out of jail. I'm doing good. Everything's looking up. Wow. Where's God? And so this was a real test to the brothers, this prosperity time in their life. Amen? God wants us to live for Him. Not just for what He gives us. He wants us to live for Him because we genuinely love Him. He doesn't want us to live for Him because He blesses us with finances or blesses us with healing. He wants us to live for Him because we love Him. Amen? Okay? Can you relate? Has your life been changed? Are you doing better now than you were when you first got in the church? If you're not, you need to look at the situation. But I'll be honest with you, there, there's nobody that I know that's been in the church for a while that can tell me they're, they're worse off now than they were when they got in the church. They either have a bad memory or a big imagination. That's just the way it is. Okay? So we have to be careful, don't we? Amen. You start getting promoted at the job. You start getting prideful and arrogant. You start thinking that you deserve it. You start looking at yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, they got the right man. No, it's just the blessings of God that are following you. It's the favor of God that is following your life. Don't forget God. Amen. But when it's looking up and when it's going well, get ready for the test. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, I really personally believe that if we'll humble, if I humble myself and you'll humble yourself, God won't have to spank us very hard. Praise the Lord. So I want to keep myself in a place where God can continue to bless me. So verse 1, they're all prospering now. They're really blessed. Their sacks are full. Full of corn and full of cash. Amen? 
No longer an empty icebox or refrigerator, whatever you call it. My generation, icebox. That tells you how young I am. No longer empty icebox, refrigerator. No, no longer an empty pantry. Plenty of food, nice house, nice car, nice clothes. Here comes the test. Is it for real or not? Amen. Anybody hearing the word of the Lord? I feel it. I really feel an unction in my life right now that what I'm preaching is important for you to hear. Amen. Are we going to see you after that time of prosperity? Or are you going to quit God and quit the church? You know, it's your intention. Yeah, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to dedicate my life to God. I'm going to live for Him forever. How many people have said that? You know, people that you know that were in this church and they're no longer in this church. Will you be here five years from now? Will you be here ten years from now? Living for God? You might not be here, but will you be living for God? Sad, isn't it? And I think sometimes that's why we have to be careful. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. We have to be careful as parents, okay, about blessing our children. Because in the heart of the parent, we want to do good things for our kids. But if that turns their heart away from God, we failed. There's this, we failed. Okay? That's just the way it is. And I don't want to fail. Hallelujah. And recently I had the opportunity to bless my son and I told him, I said, before this is yours, you're going to have to prove yourself. And I wasn't talking about how much he does around the house. That's what he thinks is about how much he does around the house. It's not about that. It's about what kind of person are you? What kind of character do you have? Amen? Are, are you going to stay the same person? Helpful person? Kind person? Gracious person? Giving person? Are you going to continue to be that kind of person? That's what I'm looking for. Not how much you mow the yard. Is this going to change you? If I do this. So, I told him, you know, hallelujah. And I enjoyed blessing Jeremiah... Uh, my personal opinion, he's one of the best kids in the church. He just is. And you might not agree with me. You probably think yours is. But I don't know really anybody that's more giving and more kind and more gracious than my son. I mean, okay, now I'm going to get in a little competition with you. You think about Jeremiah. You know, Sister Pearl asked him to make homemade ice cream for the whole church. You know what he was doing? Making homemade ice cream for the whole church. And people in the church, Jeremiah, you making me ice cream? Oh, sure. Oh, they're making ice cream for people. Okay? That's just the kind of person he is. He's one of the kindest giving individuals that I know. And I don't, I don't say that just because he's my son. I'm thankful that, that he's my son, but I'm thankful for the kind of person he is. You understand? 
He's outgoing. He'll talk to every one of you. Every one of you. And some of you kids are nothing but mutes. They don't know how to function socially. They, they don't even know how to communicate with their pastor. There's something wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm just, I'm just talking this morning. You don't have to accept. You don't have to listen to it. If you don't want to, you can get up and walk out if you want to. But the point being is this. You know, even my wife notices. She says half of those young people, not most of those young people don't ever say one word to her. You know? Now, this is not drag you or rail over, rail on you today, but I'm just telling you that my son's not like that. He goes and talks to everybody. Amen? He's helpful. He'll do anything for you. He loves you that much. And that's the kind of person he is. So when I blessed him recently, uh, and I say real recently, okay, I told him, I said, I'm not going to give this to you until you prove yourself. Amen? And what I have in mind is this blessing is not going to change who you are. You're going to stay the same person you are. You're not going to get arrogant and prideful. You're not going to talk about yourself and how great you are and how great this is and all that. I don't want, I don't want to hear none of that. Okay? Because that happens so often when people they start, you know, doing things in life, and all they can talk about is how great they are. I told him, I said, it's not yours until you prove yourself. And again, I'm not talking about mowing the yard. That's what he thought. He thought it was about mowing the yard. He thought he thought it was about training hard in cross country. He thought it was about that. No. It is, are you going to remain an obedient son? Are you going to remain a good son? Is this going to change you as, as a person? If it is, I'm not giving it to you. Amen. Amen? Are you going to use this? Is, is the vehicle is what it was. Are you going to use this vehicle as soon as you turn 17 or 18 to be out the door and out of the church? I'm not going to facilitate it. That's what I have in mind. So you continue to be the person you are. You continue to be faithful to God. You continue to live for God. You continue to be that person of character. It'll be yours. But not until you prove yourself. Because as you know, it's sometimes hard for us to know how to handle prosperity, isn't it? You know what I believe personally? I believe he's going to be just fine. I believe he's going to pass the test. I'm not looking for him to fail. I believe he's going to be just fine. He's going to pass the test. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this, this test of prosperity that came to these brothers, are you really changed? Are you a different person than the one that sold Joseph and threw him in a pit? Left him for dead? took his coat and dipped it in blood and told daddy that he, he was dead. Are you those same brothers or are you a different brother? Are you different people? So far, so good. They've passed the test. They're different. They're changed in a good way. But this prosperity thing was a test because they could have walked off and everything would have been good. It looked up. Everything was looking good, you know. Praise God. 
Is it real? Is the remorse that you showed earlier, is it real or is it not real? Okay, say praise the Lord, church. Yeah, okay. I don't have a perfect son. There's sometimes I really have to get strong with him. Okay, you understand? And you do too. But I'm just going to tell you this. You need, some of you need to work with your kids. Okay? And we got, so we got a good youth group. And I thank God for our youth group. I really do. We got some precious young people. But you just need to work with them a little more. You need to teach them how to be a little bit more social. You know what I'm saying? You need to teach them how to be a little bit more giving, a little bit more kind. Instead of it being all about them. Teach them it's about other people as well. Okay, anybody received this or not? Okay, you don't like it, you can bury your head in the sand, but all you're creating is a bunch of selfish, selfish kids. Amen? So all I'm telling you is I'm practicing what I preach, and that is this. I told my son, you have to prove to me that you are worthy of this. Amen? Because I don't want him to change. Amen? How many of y'all would agree that, that he does pretty good? Amen. That he does pretty good. He really does. Praise the Lord. So, that's what happens. When you get these blessings that come to your life, and I'm talking about him instead of Victoria and Thomas right now, you know, they're blessed beyond, I'm not even going to talk about them this morning. But, because it was a recent thing with Jeremiah, I told him this. I'm talking about less than a week ago. You have to prove yourself. Are you worthy of this blessing? Amen? When these brothers got blessed with cash and corn in the sack, are they worthy of this blessing? I was talking to one one man. He's a very, very successful man in the uh, real estate world, real estate businessman, very successful. And we were mentioning about, you know, different situations with young people, youth this in this generation that we live. And uh, he was talking to me about, you know, a lot of times parents give these young people cars and all they're doing is putting wheels on their trouble. He's not even in the church. That's why I'm telling you what I'm telling you is that when you start blessing your kids, you better put some parameters and borders on this and you better tell them as long as you're worthy of it. You're being tested. Prove yourself. Say amen. Because if we're not careful, all we're doing is putting wheels on a trouble, on a problem. And you might not want to hear me right now, but you put wheels on a problem, you'll have tears running down your face. And you'll have to admit, Pastor was right. Every one of us have a fallen nature. I've got a fallen nature. My kids have a fallen nature. How many of y'all believe that? Okay, my, none of my children are angels. I'm not an angel. Bishop's not an angel. None of you in here is an angel, right? Every one of us have a fallen nature. 
And oftentimes, again, our test is not when we're distressed only, it's when we're prospering. How many want to be blessed? How many, how many of y'all want your kids to go to heaven? That's the most important thing. If my, kid, my kids can have all kinds of financial blessings in their life. If they don't go to heaven, what's the point? So I'm going to hold my, my children accountable. Amen. I'm going to hold my son accountable. I'm going to say, prove yourself. Because this is very dangerous. What I would say to Jeremiah, this is very dangerous. You being blessed with a vehicle is very dangerous. Okay? Prove that you deserve it. Keep being the same person that you are. Keep being the giver. Keep being the kind one. Keep being the one that, that is willing to talk to everybody. Keep being that person of excellence. When the church people look at you, they, they look at you and say, that's a good boy. question for you is this my son can change in a minute and not be that so I'm not gloating in pride today I'm just saying to you right now when we look at your kids can we say that's a good boy that's a good girl and obviously I know some of you have worked so hard to make that a reality and in some cases it's not a reality and in some cases it's not your fault But I think we do have to look at ourselves and, and ask the question, is some of it our fault? Anybody with me? So, you know, I'm, I'm just like you in so many ways, but I don't want my kids to be destroyed by blessing. I don't want to be destroyed by blessing. I don't want you to be destroyed by blessing. Amen. You know the Bible talks about that you can take a blessing of God and turn it into a curse. The blessings of God can become a curse to your life. We need to thank, be thankful today. If you're blessed, if you've got a sack full of cash, amen, and a pantry full of corn, you need to be thankful. And I need to be thankful today that God would Allow us to have that plus still get to go to heaven. Praise the Lord. So right after this time of prosperity, and God just recently blessed this church, it was the Lord that blessed this church. And you have to be careful because when God blesses you, right after that, here comes the cup in the sack. Here comes the test of the cup. Okay? So Joseph told his steward, he said, you go and you plant. You plant evidence in Benjamin's sack. Okay? And we're going to test this thing with a final test. Have they really changed or not? So the Bible says the steward does just that. He goes and he puts that, that silver cup of Joseph into the sack of Benjamin. And then Joseph tells the steward, you follow them. And that's what the steward does. And the scripture says in verse 4, 
And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou doest overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? You have done evil in so doing. See? That cup has been planted. It's going to be evidence to indict Benjamin. They don't know it's a test. But it's a test. Things are looking so good right now, but all of a sudden, when things are looking good, here comes the test. It comes quick. It brings change. Just like that. And you and I have to be ready for those tests to come that are connected to times of prosperity. Things that come quickly. Things that bring change quickly. It can be your health. It can be your position, your job. It can be so many different things that will come into your life and to challenge you when you least expect it, when everything's looking up and you're so excited and, and you feel like, yeah, we, we have survived. We've made it through a hard time. And here comes another one. Right after you've made it through your hard time and everything's looking good, here comes another one. Sort of like Job's life, you know? Job was so blessed and prosperous and all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom in an instant. Just one thing after another, one test after another started coming his way. He, if he didn't have the Word of God in him, he wouldn't have worshipped God. But he said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't let his prosperity destroy him. And when his test came right in, in adjacent to that, he said, I'm still going to worship God. God knows what we need. They say, give me a boyfriend, God. You get a boyfriend, you backslide. Give me a husband, God. God, take him back. See, we think we know what we need, right? No, God knows what we need. The whole thing is, that when He does these things for us, are we going to still be living for Him? Amen? Because it's all about God. You can have all this stuff, but if you don't have God, you don't have anything. What do you have if you don't have God in your life? You see people, they got so much and they're in the world. But can I tell you, they're not prospering. If you don't have God, you don't have true prosperity. But for the believer, it's a test. So the cup is planted to indict Benjamin. And it's going to be to test the brothers. Because when the proof or the cup is found in Benjamin's sack, what, how are they going to respond? Are they going to say, okay, Benjamin, you had the cup. You know, you go suffer the consequences and we're going home to daddy. We're going home to freedom. Or will they stand by Benjamin? If they stand by him, it's going to show Joseph that they have really repented, that it was real remorse that they were showing for what they did to Joseph. So, the steward said it was a cup of divination. The steward said this is the cup by which Joseph divines or predicts the future. No, 
Joseph does not, is not a diviner from the world's perspective. He, Joseph will talk about a cup. Even he will say it was a cup that he used to divine with. But he, he's not talking about divination like the world thinks about divination. He's going to use the, the cup to discern the character of his brothers. This cup is going to be a cup for discernment. Alright? Have they changed? So let's keep reading. So the steward follows them and overtakes them and he tells them, you have rewarded evil for good. I mean, how can you do that? Number two man in Egypt has been has blessed you and gave you a feast and gave you favor and filled your sacks with cash and with corn and you stole his cup? How could you do that? Said the steward. You're rewarding good. Rewarding evil for good. Verse 5, Is not this in which my, my Lord drinketh, whereby indeed He divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. He overtook them and spake unto them the same words. And they, they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servant should do according to this thing. He said, Remember the money and the first visit that we found in our sacks that we were going to use to buy corn with? And we had corn and we got our money back? Remember when we came back the second time, we gave that money? And said, you know, this money was in our sacks, but we didn't, we didn't take it. Here, here's the proof. We're going to give you the money. It's a proof of our character that we're not thieves. That's what they make reference to in verse 8. Behold the money which we found in our sacks mouth. We brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? We've already proven our character that we're not thieves. We brought the money back that we found in the sack. The first time as proof that we're not thieves. In verse 9, With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also be the Lord's bondsmen. The brothers very abruptly say this, If you find that cup with us, let that person that has the cup, let them be put to death, and let us be slaves. They, they pronounce this judgment upon themselves. If that cup is stolen by us, if it's found in our sack, let that person die and let us become the slave. The Bible goes on and tells us. In verse 10, He said, Now also let it be according unto your words, He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. So the steward says, We're not going to take it to that level. We're not going to kill the person that has the cup in the sack. What we're going to do is we're going to take that person and we're going to make that person a slave because they've done something wrong. And the rest of you can go home free. Wow. We're not, what the steward is saying is we're not going to punish you if you didn't do something wrong. We're only going to punish the person who has the cup. And we're not going to kill them. We're just going to turn them into a slave. But you guys, the rest of you guys, can go home to your freedom. Are they changed? 
The Bible says, verse 11, They speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. He searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Not Benjamin. They had to work so hard before Jacob would even let Benjamin go. They promised that they would bring Benjamin back home. And now, Benjamin has proof in his sack of the cup that has been missing. Now, he can be indicted as a thief. Here's the proof. Anybody else but Benjamin. Not Benjamin, not the one that they said, we're going to bring him back no matter what. Not Benjamin. So the Bible says when they opened Benjamin's sack and they found the cup, they rent their clothes. Proof that they were changed. Proof that they weren't the same brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. Proof that they were still remorseful. Proof that their repentance was real. Because when that cup is found in their brother's sack, they tear their clothes. They could have looked at it. Okay, he's the one that the steward said if the, if the cup's found in his sack, he'll be the slave and we get to go home free. They could have said, it wasn't us. Thank God it was Benjamin. And they could have went off back home with their freedom. But instead, they're tearing their clothes. Instead, it's showing how much they care about their brother. Instead, and we will see it in a moment, it shows how much they care about their dad. How much they care about their father. Unlike years and years before when they took and sold Joseph and didn't care about that brother. And was willing to break their daddy's heart. Are these brothers different? Joseph's given them a final test. And we're finding out they are different. They're changed. They care about their brother. They're changed. They care about their father. They change. They're not the same ones that they used to be. And it's proven with this first step of tearing their clothes. Verse 14, Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house. For he was yet there and they fell before him on the ground. One more fulfillment of the prophecy Joseph had had in that dream that these brothers would fall down in obeisance to him before him. Four times that prophecy has already been fulfilled. Where they are falling down before Joseph in obedience and obeisance just like the dream that Joseph had. Verse 15, Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? Watch ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? Don't you know that I can divine? And obviously, he's not talking about divination in relationship to the world. But don't you know that Joseph is the one that has dreams that predict the future? Don't you know that Joseph is the one 
that interprets the butler and the baker's dreams about the future? It's not the cup. Joseph didn't need the cup. He had the Spirit of God in him. And the Spirit of God in him gave him the ability to know the future by dreams and interpret dreams by the Spirit of God, not by a cup. Don't you know that Joseph can interpret dreams and, and, and has prophetic dreams to know what the future is going to hold? Don't you know that Joseph is the one that has tremendous wisdom to be able to discern people, to discern their character, to discern their motives? Don't you know this about Joseph? That he's the kind of man that can tell you what's going to happen before it happens by dreams from God? Don't you know that Joseph is the kind of man that has wisdom and he knows what's going to happen before it happens? Don't you know that? That's what he means. He's not talking about divination like the world. He's talking about a man that's full of the Spirit of God. A man that has prophetic dreams. A man that has the wisdom of God in him to know what the future holds. So Joseph says it. What you not such a man as I can certainly divine? You thought you could take this cup and they didn't do it, but it was planted. But see, he's using it for discernment purposes. The Bible goes on and says, verse 16, And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. See, this false accusation, the planting of the cup in order to indict Benjamin, a false accusation, just like they falsely accused Joseph of being a spy when he went out to them in the fields and looked for them in Dothan. And the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life. It'll kill him. If we don't, if we don't take Benjamin back, it's going to kill our dad. He's, he's old now. He's old in age. And if he loses Benjamin, it's going to cause him to go to the grave. It'll break his heart. We'd already heard Jacob as he wrestled with this, allowing Benjamin to go. When he finally agreed to let him go when the food ran out in the previous chapter, he got to a place that says, if I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He said, I'm willing to die alone if I have to. But he sent them back and he said, remember God Almighty, He's El Shaddai. And I'm going to keep clinging to God. Even if I don't ever see you again, I'm going to keep clinging to God. And Jacob just kept clinging to God. He kept holding on to God. But now the brothers are coming to Jacob's aid, standing with their dad. They said, if we don't take Benjamin back with us, it's going to kill him. See, this was Joseph. Joseph was testing his brothers. Do you care about your brother or do you not care about him like you didn't care about Joseph? Do you care about your father now or not? 
or do you still disrespect him? They've changed, haven't they? The bottom had dropped out in Jacob's life. When Joseph was thought to be dead. The bottom dropped out of Jacob's life when Benjamin had to be taken to Egypt. The bottom dropped out in his life when he heard that Simeon was in jail. And for them to go back and tell their dad, we had to leave Benjamin. He's a slave. So we can't do it. We're not the same people. Verse 31, It shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servants shall bring down the gray hair of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servants became surety. For thy servants, Judah speaking, for thy servant became surety, the guarantee for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring not unto thee, him unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see evil that shall come on my father. Judah says, I'll take his place. You let him go back home. I'll take his place because I don't want to see my daddy die. I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll, I'll take the consequence. I'll take the place of my brother because I know it's going to kill my father. They've changed. Judah was one of the main instigators when Joseph was sold. He's changed now. He said, I'll take the place. Y'all go free. I'll stay here and I'll be a slave. He's a changed man. They're changed men. These brothers are not the same. They now have a heart for their brother and a heart for their father. Thank God for that. Amen. Verse 45. Now Joseph is going to reveal himself because he knows that these men are changed. He knows that they were repentant and that their remorse was, was, was real. And the Bible says in verse 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried before he went out from them. He, he couldn't cry in their presence. He had to go in, in another room and cry. As he saw them gradually moving to repentance and remorse, he would go out, he would cry, not with, with tears of sorrow, but with tears of joy as he saw his brothers repenting. But this time, when they passed that final test, Joseph cries in front of them. Joseph weeps seven times in the story. And his tears are not tears of sorrow. His tears are tears of joy. His brothers have repented. He couldn't refrain himself before them that stood by him. He cried. He cried really loud. 
It wasn't just tears, weeping. It was tears. He cried out loud where everybody could hear him, but he got everybody out of there. He got the servants out of there. He stayed there with his brothers. Got the servants out. It's not appropriate for the servants to see this private moment. It's not appropriate when to have rank and this kind of display in the presence of lower rank. Joseph knows it. It's protocol. Number one, why, why would he send the servants out as he wept and revealed himself to his brothers? Number one, High-ranking officials can't be intimate with the servants because it causes the servants to disrespect the rank. And Joseph knows it. Joseph knows it. If he allows the servants to be a part of this intimate moment that the servants will not respect him, because too intimate with high-ranking officials causes a lack of respect. And Joseph knew that. So he removed the servants out of the room for that reason. And number two, he's going to have to reveal himself to his brothers and he's going to have to talk about some things that they had done. And, he, and there's, just, there's some people that you don't hang your dirty laundry out in front of. <laughs> Amen? You share intimate things with the body of Christ. You share intimate things with the church. Even sometimes you hang out some dirty laundry. But they're the brethren. But you don't take it out of these four walls. You don't take it out to the world. And we've had a tongue in this church for a long time that anything that happened in this church, they walked right out of the church doors and went and shared it. You don't do that. It's not proper protocol. There are things that take place in this church in your life, in my life, that has to stay in here. It is not to go out to the people in the world. If you do that, you are not following proper protocol. You understand that? So Joseph, you know, the kind of man he was, or the kind of heart that he had, he knew he could not allow people who were not the brothers to stay in the same room. It would bring a disrespect upon his rank. And number two, he's fixing to hang out some dirty laundry concerning his brethren. And that dirty laundry is not for the people in the world. You understand that? You say, well, you should be an open book to everybody. No, there's some people that don't, don't have a right to know about your life. They don't have a right to know about your dirty laundry. Amen? No. So, it is what it is. Joseph's going to reveal himself to his brothers. 
He's going to weep, but he's got to get the servants out there in order to do this. Amen? It's for privacy purposes. There's some things that are private. Okay? Now, the thing is, if all the dirty laundry's hung out, you know, what if it gets hung out about you? See, you don't, want, you don't want anybody to know about your dirty laundry, but you go and talk to people about other people's dirty laundry. No. There's a proper protocol and a proper place for that to be handled and be known. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we have people who don't have character. Because they don't understand. So as he begins to weep and he begins to reveal himself, the Bible says there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. He wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. You see, obviously if you've got that loud of a cry and that loud of a weeping, even though You've been put out of the immediate vicinity. You're still going to be able to hear the crying of Joseph. And you know how people are. You put them out and they'll stand behind, by, beside the curtain like this. That's just the way people are. And so even though they were put out of the room, they still got their ear against the curtain or the wall. They can hear the crying of Joseph. Even though they don't know all the intimate details. Even though they, they don't know all of what is going on, what this is about. They still can hear something's going on in that room. And we didn't expect this. And nor did Joseph's brothers expect this. They think that Benjamin's fixing to be a, prison, or be a slave. They're terrified. They're full of fear about what's about to happen to them. And they got the number two ruler in the world crying. What's the number two ruler of the world crying about? Why is he acting like this? He made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptian the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They are completely surprised. This is Joseph. He has authority right now to punish every one of us for what we did to him. He's number two ruler. In Egypt, he doesn't have to answer anybody but Pharaoh. He can have them taken out and executed if he wanted to. But he's weeping. He's crying with tears of joy. You know what this tells me? The fact that he didn't take them out and kill them and punish them for what they did. He could have done it. It tells me that Joseph forgave his brothers years ago. This wasn't something that recently he decided to do to forgive. He forgave his brothers years ago. And his weeping and his tears proved that everything he had done to them was not out of vengeance or out of anger or trying to get back 
It was because he had to prove their character. His tears show that he didn't have animosity toward them. His tears showed that he wasn't out to get them. His tears showed that he didn't hate them. His tears showed that he wasn't full of vengeance. His tears, his actions proved that he cared about them. And he forgave them years ago. If he hadn't forgiven them years ago, he would not be where he is today. And I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are holding grudges, man. You're holding grudges. And they're eating your lunch every day. I'm going to tell you why. Because of what happened to you in the past. You're looking for it every day to happen again. That person did something to you years ago. They're going to do it to me again. And you relive that tape every day. You need to get it out of your video player and you need to throw it away. And we all like that. We all have recordings of what people have done to us. But we have to get to a place now. I'm ejecting the, re the tape. I'm throwing the tape away. I forgive. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Because if I don't forgive, that bitterness and that anger is going to kill me. It will literally create sickness in your body if you refuse to forgive. We have to forgive. And this is proof that He did. Not that day, but years before. And he had to treat him rough at times. And he had to talk to him rough at times. And he had to put this one in prison at times. And he had to plant a cup in the sack to indict a man at times. And all of that treatment was not out of vengeance. It's to find out what kind of person is this. And when they repented, and it's proven by their actions. Now he can weep. And now he can reveal himself to his brothers. And it's proof that he did not have unforgiveness inside of him. If you're ever going to be used by God, you're going to have to forgive. If I'm ever going to be used by God, I've got to forgive. Sometimes I've got to forgive you. Not me. Not me, Pastor. I'm a good boy. You tell Ryder, Ryder, you're a good boy. He's a good boy. Amen. When I know how you are, you're all good boys and girls. But for some reason, sometimes you have to be forgiven. Amen. And sometimes you're going to have to forgive your pastor. You are. You're going to have to forgive your pastor. Wives are going to have to forgive their husbands. Husbands are going to have to forgive their wives. That's just a part of being a Christian. Amen. Say, forgive. forgive. You know, after I made that bold confession last Sunday, and I, people mean well. I don't, I don't, again, I'm not harboring anything, I don't think. They mean well. One saint in the church goes up to my wife and says, hey, you need to watch that television preacher that preaches on family and marriage. He's really good. <laughs> he helped my family. I said, oh, Wow. So now I got the, the advice from the saint in the church that not, me and my wife need to sit down and watch the, the television preacher in family relationships. Well, well, maybe that's true. But my question to my wife was this. Is that when I watch this and you watch this, is it going to lift the pressure off of us? Is it going to lift the spiritual war, war, uh, warfare off of us? 
by watching this television preacher? I might need it. No, I'll tell you the answer. Let me give you the answer to a healthy marriage. It's called forgive. Forgiveness. You don't have to watch. If you want to, fine. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think. Okay, but I'm going to save you a little time. Forgive. When you have a fight, forgive. You have to learn to forgive. You'll forgive, your marriage will work. It's all about forgiveness. If you, you, you know, you after a pound of flesh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get him back. You're not gonna get them back. You're gonna kill yourself. And I'm preaching to somebody here right now, and even though you may not think I'm worthy to do it, but I'm gonna stand before you. Some of you are so full, so full of unforgiveness. I'm going to tell you something. As your pastor, there's some things that have come our way down our road that we had to forgive in order to be able to work with the situation. If we didn't forgive, we couldn't even be able to work with the situation. Amen? And you, and in some cases, you've got, to, you've got to set aside your, you know, hey, I'm 52 years old. In some cases, you've got to set aside what you would like to do in a particular situation, you know, in your life at that moment because all of a sudden you have an inconvenience that's come to you. But you have to learn to work with the situations. Amen? And when you do, you have to remember, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I'm looking down the road right now, and it's, it, it looks pretty bad right now, but I'm looking down the road because what can come out of this? If I keep my spirit right, if I keep my heart right, if I forgive you, if I forgive her, if I forgive this one, what can come out of that if I forgive? I can work with it. What's going to come down the road? If you can't forgive, you'll never even make it to heaven. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And you might be sitting pretty in the church right now, and you might have your hair all long, uncut, and the right dress and apparel and all that stuff and all that, but if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you're not going to be in heaven unless you forgive. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. We had a tape. I don't think we have it anymore. You used to be in the library. This man died. He was in the church. I don't know what kind of church, but he's in a church of some kind, claimed to be a believer. He died and went to hell and was raised from the dead. And he found out the reason why he went to hell was because he refused to forgive his wife. That's why God showed him after he was raised from the dead, his testimony was he went to hell. God told him because he didn't forgive his wife. 
got to learn to forgive. So do I. Brother Dice used to say it. He said, if I didn't forgive those people that had hurt me, it would have, he said it would have killed me. Brother Dice is with the Lord now. Some of the most important things he said were just little statements like that. He told me personally, not just from the pulpit, but he told me personally, if I didn't forgive people what they did to me, Brother Carter, it would have destroyed me. You know, and as a pastor, he went through a lot with a lot of people. He had to learn to forgive. I believe Brother Dice made it to heaven. If you want to make it to heaven, you've got to learn to forgive. How many of y'all are willing to forgive? It doesn't mean, listen to me carefully, church, it does not mean that you're condoning what they did. Joseph did not condone what his brothers did to him. He, by treating them roughly, brought them to a place of realization and repentance and remorse for what they had done. He did not condone it. Sometimes tough decisions have to be made. And sometimes you have to be rough with people before they'll repent. But he was always ready to forgive. That doesn't mean condone. Some people think forgiveness is condoning. No, it's not. You don't condone what people do. But you're always ready to forgive. If they'll repent. Does that make sense? Are you getting tired and getting bored? Yeah, you know the story. But are you living it? I know, I know you can quote it back to me. You can preach it back to me. You know all the details of the story. I know you read your Bible. But do we live it? This man lived it. I don't want to stand before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day and find out the reason why I didn't make it into heaven is because I did not forgive. Amen. Sometimes God's got a strong word for us. We need it. We need a strong word. Amen. And if watching hour after hour of television preachers was going to help my family, I'll do it. Make it to heaven, I'll do it. Whatever I got to do, I'll do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the main thing that we got to get is this. You have to learn to forgive. But you have to be careful when you make decisions because sometimes you think forgiveness is you're supposed to bail people out. No, no. no. He treated them roughly in order for them to repent. And after they did, He wept with tears of joy because they did. That shows you the heart of a person. If it's vengeful, vindictive, when the person repents, they're not happy about it. Joseph was extremely happy. Say amen. When I, when I preach this life of Joseph, man, we're, we're right down where the rubber meets the road. We're, we're really dealing with life in a practical way. Praise the Lord. I'm closer to Sister Christina this Sunday than I, than I remember being ever.
Hallelujah. You know, not that our relationship was bad, but I'm just telling you is that when you go through things and you have to forgive each other, you know. That's what God's looking for. So I'm going to put it to you right now. I'm going to, in the name of the Lord, I'm going to ask you, not ask you, I command you by the word of the Lord to forgive right now. Because you're not hurting anybody but yourself. You are killing yourself. You're going to kill your marriage, your children. Forgive. And you're going to have to make it, you're going to have to say it with your mouth. Don't just say, well, I agree. I forgive that. And you call them by name. When they heard that this was Joseph, the Bible says they couldn't answer. This completely shocked them. You can imagine, it shocked them. This is Joseph. We thought you were dead. They couldn't say a word. And the Bible says they were troubled. You want me to give you another translation? <laughs> they were terrified. I mean, he could have them executed right now. And he's got tears flowing down his face for them. Come near to me, Joseph said. I pray you. And they came near. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Hanging out some dirty laundry only to the brethren. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. See, if the devil can't get you by tempting you not to repent, he will get you by making you feel constant remorse for something you've done. And so Joseph says, look at how Joseph handles the situation. Do you, under, do you see what he's doing here? He says, don't be grieved nor angry with yourselves. You forgive other people for what they do to you, but then, then what Joseph is teaching them, you're going to have to forgive yourself for what you did. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Sometimes the devil will tempt you not to repent. That's pride. If he can't get you by that trap, he gets you by overwhelming grief. You just can't get over what you did. And it's just, you're just in constant sorrow and grief for what you did and how you failed. He'll get you that way. But the Lord comes to you and says what Joseph says. There's no need for you to be angry with yourself. Don't be overly sorry. Don't be overly remorseful. Repent. But don't carry it with you all the rest of your life. Joseph was a very wise man. He understood. He knew that if his brothers continued in constant grief over what they had done, 
they would be lost. He's a very wise man. It's wisdom that, that helps you work with a situation to where you know the person needs to repent. Okay? That overcomes trap number one of the devil. But once that person repents, you have to have the next understanding that Joseph had is this, you're forgiven. And as you go forward, don't sit around and be sorrowful continually over what you did. Trust God. Forgive yourself. Go forward. Do you understand that? Amen. See, some of y'all are very quick to repent for sin, but you're not quick to get over the sorrow of what you did. And that's a trap, and that's a trick of the devil. that you just continue to grieve. When God has freely forgiven you. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the free and full pardon of Jesus Christ? That if you repent and He says your sins are forgiven you and you can go and you don't have to carry that anymore. There are situations that come to me as a pastor at times. How am I going to work with this? How am I going to handle this? And I have to make a decision quick. Okay? Had to make a quick decision even Friday night before we came to family night. Quick decision. Okay? The decision was, you know, there was a couple that, couple of kids that wanted to come to family night and they... They asked permission. They didn't just show up like some do. They asked permission to come. And they said, this is the way. One said, this is the way I'm coming. I'm going to come right. I'm going to come dressed right. I'm going to come looking right. I'm not going to mock the church. I said, sure. Tell the parents, sure, they can come. If they're coming that way. You understand? And another one. Well, can I come too? And they have a connection with my daughter. So one one of the second one said, Can I come too? I said, Will you ask your dad if I can come? And my daughter, if I understand she told me correctly, she said, Call my dad. And he didn't want to call me. He didn't want to call me. I had to make a decision right then. Do I make this young man call me and face it? Or do I let her handle it? And I made a decision. I'll let you handle it. Tell him he can come. And when they came, I was reaching out to them. Say, hey, it's good to see you. See, they went through the proper steps. They asked for permission. When they came, they came the right way. They didn't just show up. You understand? The problem I got is when somebody just shows up in the church back in these things, you know, they're not dressed appropriately. They're flaunting their backslidden condition in the eyes of the church and in the eyes of the family members. 
I got a problem with that one. But I had two kids that says, we want to come. Can we come? And I had to make a decision very quickly. Do I deal with them? Or do I just say, yes, you can come? And I felt like, no, let them come. Let them come. They might not be in that place right now where they can handle talking to me. Does that make sense? So we need wisdom how to work with situations. Amen. Now, next time, if it doesn't change and they came, you know, it doesn't change, next time it's going to be different. Probably tell them I can't come until you get back to the church house. But at least they know that I care. Can you take the proper steps? We're all about forgiveness and restoration. Say praise the Lord. All I'm saying to you is this. Is that the consequences are going to come in people's lives that brings us to repentance. But when we repent, thank God, God is not standing over us with a hammer ready to crush our skulls. But we know that. But what about you? You won't forgive yourself. And that's what Joseph canceled. They repented. They defeated the devils. Number one plan, don't repent. Joseph defeated the second plan of the devil is to keep that person that has repented in constant sorrow and grief over what they did. The wisdom of Joseph would not allow it. Isn't God good? Said God did send me before you to preserve life. God did it. God sent me. God was in this. For these two years hath the famine been in the land. There's five more to go, right? And yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Say great salvation. This is a great salvation which God saved us by. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and He hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph said, I'm a spiritual father to that man. He said, I'm a spiritual father to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world in that day. Joseph said, I'm his daddy. It's amazing, isn't it, what God did? You getting hungry, getting tired? 1225. I know the, the little the dinner bell rings at 1230. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? He said, I'm Pharaoh's dad. Not physically or literally, spiritually. He said, he turned everything, he put everything in my hands. But God did it. God did it to save him. Amen. Look at your name and say, the love of God. He made this, he planned this plan years and years before it ever happened. The love of God. The great salvation of God. The great delivering power of God. 
Amen? Very quickly, I'm just going to... You'll read it later. But Joseph looks at him and says, You go get my daddy. You go get the rest of the family. And you bring him to Egypt. Because I want to fellowship with him. I want him to be near to him. And I want him to be fruitful. I want him to be blessed. You go get him and bring him back so I can be close to him and he can prosper. Amen? And so the Bible tells us they went back home and they gave the report to their dad. Joseph is alive. Joseph is alive. Can you imagine what Jacob must have thought when he heard that? Joseph's alive, the one he thought was dead years and years ago. He gets the good news. My son is alive. I thought he was dead, but he's alive. Joseph's alive, and he wants you to come to Egypt. But he's in the land of promise. He's the land in which... He's the land in the land where Messiah will be born. How can he leave the promised land? Other people got in trouble going down to Egypt. But Joseph says, you, you come to Egypt. You live in Egypt. Because I want to be close to you. And I want to prosper you. I want to take care of my whole family. Amen. Bible says in verse 21 and the children of Israel did so are y'all here? Amen. Amen. I want to see how far I need to read here. See, he's weeping on their necks and there's an awesome wonderful reunion that takes place. Amen. And Pharaoh's house hears about it and everybody's excited about the reunion even in Pharaoh's house. Verse 16. Amen. Verse 19. Go get your dad. Pharaoh says, go get your dad. Go get your family. Verse 19. Now thou art commanded this do ye. Take ye wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of the land of Egypt is yours. And the children did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. Pharaoh says, you go get your dad. Go get your family. Wagons, everything you need, go get them. Tell them they don't need to gather a lot of stuff just because there's plenty in Egypt for them. You know? Just bring the necessities, but all the stuff, leave all the stuff behind. Loaded the wagons. According to the command of Pharaoh, loaded the wagons. Amen? And Jacob gets up. And here come the wagons. And his boys telling the report, Joseph's alive. But can you imagine how that must have felt when he looked up and he saw these wagons coming down with all these provision? And these are these wagons are from Egypt. And you can tell they're from Egypt. Here come the wagons. He had said before, all these things are against me. But here come the wagons. That was his perspective. All these things are against me, but I'm going to hold on to El Shaddai. I'm going to hold on to the breasted one. Jacob kept clinging to God. 
even though he thought he might lose all of his children and, and die without them. And he said, all these things are against me. He kept clinging to God. He's the one that clinged to God there by the river Jabbok when that angel wrestled with him. And he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. That's what Jacob said. I'm a clinger. I'm going to hold on to God no matter what. And so because of that, he looks up at the wagons that were coming. And they're loaded with provision. Give God praise. Trust God. Amen? Maybe you're going to look up someday and say, here come the wagons. They're loaded with blessing. Loaded with provision. Amen? Gave his brethren changes of garments. and Verse 23, To his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with good things of Egypt, ten she-asses laden with corn, bread, meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away and they departed and he said unto them, See that you fall not out by the way. So when you go back up there and you get daddy and you bring him home, you bring the family to Egypt, y'all don't get in a big fight on the way. He says, you, you take care of yourself. You watch out. Be safe with your trip. But don't have a big fight when you come. Good advice. Verse 25, They went out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him saying Joseph is yet alive he is governor over all the land of Egypt and Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not he couldn't believe it could he remember when he got the bad news Joseph was dead he believed it instantly but when he gets the good news I don't believe it until I see it where's the proof the wagons are the proof the wagons are the proof. See, we're quick to believe bad news, but we got we want proof to have good, you know, to believe the good news. The Bible says in verse twenty-seven, they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, Jacob, their father, revived when he saw the wagons. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. But we got a problem. Joseph told him to come to Egypt. Pharaoh wanted him to come to Egypt. But he's in the promised land. Other people got in trouble going to Egypt. What's he going to do? Well, I'm not going to read all the verses, but the next chapter tells you that he gets up out of Hebron with his family. 66 people, not counting himself, Joseph and his two sons. And then 70 if you count Joseph, his two, two sons, and Jacob. Some are already in Egypt. Okay, this is what the Bible says. He gets up, Jacob gets up out of Hebron. Guess what? He's going to be riding the wagons. That old man, he's an old man. He's dragging his leg behind him now. He's going to be riding in the wagons. But he goes about 20 to 30 miles to from Hebron over to Beersheba, the place of oath, the place of covenant. 
That is a location right before you go into the desert on the way to Egypt. And he stops there in Beersheba. And you know what he does? You know what Jacob does? In a time of famine, he worships God. He offers a sacrifice to God. And he worships God. He's fixing to make that long trek to Egypt. But before he does, he worships God. And I, you've got to understand this. This isn't a time of famine, friend. The cattle, the flocks are not what they used to be. They're not as big as they used to be. The bank account's not what it used to be. But this man who clings to God always worshiped God and even took some of his cattle and sacrificed to God. And when he does, the Bible says, God appeared to Jacob. It's the seventh time he appears to Jacob. God appeared to Jacob and God told him, you go to Egypt. Don't be afraid to leave the land of promise. It's in God's will for him to go to Egypt. So we read it just a little bit. The Bible says, verse 4, God says, verse 3, he said, I am God, the God of thy father. I'm the God of covenant. Fear not to go down to Egypt. Now he knows it's okay. He wants to do the right thing. He doesn't want to get out of the will of God. And now God comes to him and God tells him to go after he sacrifices to God. Real quick, there are a lot of people who want you to go places and want you to do things. But you're going to have to hear from God. You've got to get in a place where you worship God and you make sacrifice to God so that God can reveal His mind to you as to whether or not you should go or not. Joseph told him to come. Pharaoh told him to come. But he hasn't heard from God yet. And to leave the land of promise, the place where Messiah will be born, that's a big one. And he wants to be right with God. He doesn't want to make a mistake. And so he offers worship to God. And God appeared to him. And told him, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. For I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Four things God promised him. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll be with you in Egypt. Did you hear that? God said, I'll be with you in Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to take you from 70 plus and turn you into millions. And the whole time you're in Egypt, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bring you back out. Your future is you're going to come back to the promised land. And number four, you're going to close, or Joseph is going to close your eyes, Jacob, when you die. And the Bible tells us, I believe, and we'll get into this in more detail as we go through it, Jacob, when he gets to Egypt, lives another 17 years. He gets to see Joseph for 17 years. And when Jacob dies as an old man, everybody that dies, dies with their eyes open. And the honored son gets the privilege of closing their father's eyes. God says, Joseph. He says to Jacob, Joseph, you're going to see Joseph. 
And Joseph, when you die, is going to be the one that's going to be there. And he's going to close your eyes in death. What great promise. They came out of worship. They came out of sacrifice. And the Bible says in verse 6, they took their cattle, their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. And Jacob, all his seed with him, his sons and his sons, sons with him, his daughters, his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And I'm not going to read all the names, but it lists all the names, the sons and their sons. and Except for the women. The women are not recorded, are not numbered. Okay? And the Bible tells us, 27, 26, all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins beside Jacob's sons, wives, all the souls were threescore and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were seventy. Not counting the women. When Stephen gives his testimony in Acts chapter 7, he said 75. There's no contradiction in the Word of God. Because that 75 number includes the grandsons of Joseph. So when he says 66 souls went up, it's not counting Jacob, Joseph and his two sons. Then when you count them, that's 70. None of the women are recorded or listed in that number. And then when again Stephen says it was 75, he includes the sons, the grandsons that would be born to Joseph. That's all the people of the Hebrews that was in the land of Egypt in the, at the beginning. And it's going to grow into millions. It's God's incubator for the nation to become a nation. To multiply and to grow. It was His will. Amen? Amen? Verse 28, the Bible says, And He sent Judah before Him unto Joseph to direct His face into Goshen. They came into the land of Goshen, and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him, and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Now we have a reunion with Jacob. But when Joseph goes up, he goes up as a number two ruler of the, of the world. He's dressed as a number two ruler of the world. He's riding in the chariot of rank and authority and power and pomp. He doesn't go in pride. He's going and he's saying, Daddy, this is what God has done. It's a testimony of the glory of God, what God has done for him. And he weeps. He falls on the neck of Jacob, his daddy. And Jacob is 130 years old at this point. And he just, for a long time, he weeps on the neck of Jacob. He's going to be near Jacob, his father and his brothers, and he's going to take care of them. And they're going to put him in Goshen, a very fertile land. Amen? Verse 30, Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. 
And Joseph said unto his brethren and to his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which are, were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are, are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And Joseph says, I'm going to tell them you're shepherds. And when you go into the presence of Pharaoh, you tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. Don't try to cover it up. And the Bible says the reason for it is uh, Egyptians hate shepherds. Shepherds are an abomination to Egyptians. It hasn't changed. People in the world hate pastors. People that are carnal hate pastors. People who have Egyptian spirits hate shepherds. So Joseph tells them, I'm going to let Pharaoh know you're shepherds. And when you go before Pharaoh, you let him know that you're shepherds. We're not going to cover it up. Egyptians hate shepherds. Verse 34 tells you that. Amen? In chapter 47, the Bible tells us Joseph and some of his brethren, or Jacob and some of his brethren, go before Pharaoh. And I know I'm getting long here. I'm not going to apologize for it. Goes before Pharaoh. They're in the audience of the most powerful man on the earth. This old man, Jacob, has an audience with Pharaoh. He had said, all these things are against me. Now he's standing in front of the most powerful person in the world. He drags, he limps, he drags his leg behind him that he got when he cleaned to God and he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. He came walking in his old man in front of Pharaoh with his leg dragging behind him. He stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him, you're going to dwell in the land of Goshen, verse 6. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. That old man came walking in an audience before the most powerful man of the earth. He walked up to Pharaoh. The only way you can bless is to put your hand on that head. He walked up to Pharaoh. He put Jacob, that old man, put his hand on the head of Pharaoh. And he blessed him. Which is to say that when he put his hand on Pharaoh's head, He's letting him know the only way that you can truly be blessed in life, Pharaoh, is to know the only and one true God. And he blessed him. The one who clinged to God and said, I'll not let you go till you bless me, is now laying his hand on Pharaoh's head and blessing him. I will say this to you. Jacob could not have laid his hand on the head of Pharaoh and blessed Pharaoh if he was not blessed. Only a blessed man can bless you. Only a blessed man can bless you. 
but because he was blessed. I'll not let you go till you bless me. Now he can bless other people. Hallelujah. How would you like to be like, be like, be Jacob? They go lay hands on people and pronounce the blessings of God upon them. And when you do, you say, it, I bless you. I pray that you come to know the one true God. I bless you. And blessing isn't, I want you to be happy. What he's saying is, I bless you. I want you to know the one true God that I serve. I'm blessed by Him. I'm going to bless you. I want every soul, every part of your being, body, soul, and spirit to be blessed. I want you to prosper physically. I want you to prosper in your health. I want you to prosper spiritually. I, he's releasing an empowerment upon Pharaoh to be blessed in every area of his life. To be empowered by God. It's not just, I'm praying for you. There is a release of an anointing that comes through that hand of a person that's blessed by God that releases an empowerment in your life for prosperity in every area of your life. And because Jacob was blessed, he could bless There are not too many people that go in the court of Pharaoh, in the audience of Pharaoh, that ever put their hand on that man. But Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob clinged to God no matter what. And I guarantee you, when he put his hand on the head of Pharaoh, the power of God hit that man. He'd never known anything like that before. It shook him to the core. Will you stand? God is in this place right now you lift your hands you're feeling be like Jacob and cling to him say I'm not going to let you go till you bless me God because I want to be a blessing to other people I want to release an anointing into other people's lives anointing that will prosper them in body soul and spirit Success would come to them. I bless them that their emotions would be filled with the love of God. I bless them that their body would be healthy. I bless them that their mind would be filled with the revelation of God. I bless them. Lord, I thank you right now for releasing your blessing upon this congregation now. Your mighty power, your mighty hand. Fill them, God, their emotions with your love, their mind with a revelation of who you are. 
heal their bodies of sickness and disease. Give them success, God, in life. They might be blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus' name. In conclusion, all the way up to the verse 27, the Bible talks about that particular chapter. It talks about the way Joseph administrated the kingdom of Pharaoh through that time of famine. And God's people over in the land of Goshen, in a place where they could shepherd their flocks, they were planted little over 70 people, if you include the wives planted as a seed in the earth of Egypt and they would grow and grow and grow into a multitude until God would prepare to bring them out of Egypt as a great nation Father God I thank you right now for your word I thank you for blessing us today Lord Jesus I acknowledge this morning that I'm blessed by you I, I declare, God, I'm blessed. I declare this church is blessed with Your presence, the knowledge of the one true God. You are God and God alone, Jesus. I acknowledge, Lord, all that You've done for me and my family and all that You've done for this church. How You've blessed us, God, so greatly with so great salvation. We rejoice in You, God. We thank You for Your provision, Lord, that You've already given to us and prepared for us for the storm that will come. We will continue to cling to You at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.